This is Greg Lazinski, and you're listening to Baseball BBQ. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast, and you're listening to Jeff and Len on Baseball and Barbecue, one of my favorite podcasts, and I know it's one of yours, too. The only problem is, after I get done listening to it, I'm hungry. All right, guys, take it away. Wow, episode number... 36. Here it comes. Listen up, everyone. Keep listening. It's getting better. Yes. This episode is going to have some ups. It's going to have some downs. Interviews. Dedications. New products. Because ladies, gentlemen, and children, and maybe even family pets, you are listening to episode number 36 of Baseball and BBQ, where the BBQ stands for Barbecue. I am Len Aberman, and this is Jeff Cohen. Welcome to episode number, said it before, I'll say it again, 36. That's it. That's the it. music ends. The music ends. Can can I can I say right away that I've got good news and bad? For, okay, first of all, we've we've been seeing each other a lot this week. We, you guys should know that. Uh, this, and, and it's going to get a lot more next week too. <laughs> we we are so busy, but I will tell you guys, an exciting week as far as a podcast goes. We had a couple of great interviews, but we also have bad news and good news, and I'm not even giving you the choice of which you want to hear first, because you know damn well what the, what the bad news is. Yes. Why don't you tell us? All right. We, had, we started the week with an interview with Kyle. K- Kyle. Kyle, I was going to say his last name, but maybe, maybe, maybe we'll just leave it at Kyle because he, he may not want to be associated with <laughs> with the show because what we did. So we'll just leave it at Kyle until he comes on officially. Right. But we had an interview with Kyle of ThermoWorks. It was a great interview. When the interview was over, Kyle even generously said, "Guys, what can I send you?" All right. And he sent us a couple of products. Fantastic stuff. We will talk about it at a future time. That was the good news. That's the good news. That's the good news. And then then we heard the interview. And his part was great. Sound quality wasn't terrible on his part, but wasn't that great. But then the sound quality on our end was awful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, We will reach out to Kyle and ask him to interview with us again right and you know when we first started doing this podcast um for those of you who have been with us from the very beginning you know that we had some times when our sound quality was really bad and we would still put it on (laughs) (laughs) and and this time we just we just don't want to do it because the 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 information 
that Kyle gave was fantastic about the company, about their products. You know, we're always we're always telling you guys to to temperature, temperature, temperature. That's how you know it's done. And and ThermoWorks is a fantastic company, and it would be a disservice to play that interview with the, with the sound quality. But so we will redo it, and we will do we will get it on right. the air. But in the meantime, we did record an interview, which came out pretty good. Yes, that was the next thing. We had an interview with none other than Jamie Perviance, and Jamie has written another cookbook. Because if you know Jamie Perviance, he is a prolific cookbook author. I think this is his seventh book for Weber. For Weber, yes. Although he mentioned during the interview that he's written numerous cookbooks. Uh, I think he said 17. I think so. Right? Yeah. So the name of the book is Weber's Ultimate Grilling, A Step-by-Step Guide to Barbecue Genius. And let me tell you something. Uh, Amazing book. Jamie Perviance was fantastic. And we're going to play that for you shortly. Also, we're going to have a dedication. Right. A tribute to a great baseball player who passed away way too young a couple of weeks ago, Bill Buckner. Right. We will talk about Bill, his his great career, and how it should not be defined by one play. And I would like to tell you guys about a product that I used tonight for the first time. Ooh. Yeah. And we each have a rant. We do. Right. Mine is barbecue-related, and Jeff's is baseball-related. Big surprise there. (laughs) And mine is a rant, and I'm going to let you guys in on a little something here. Just going to tease it. It's a rant, and I think a conspiracy, because something's going on in the world of barbecue, and I think we got to get to the bottom of it. With that, let's start our interview with Jamie Provines. Jamie Provience is a world-renowned grilling expert with a knack for teaching anyone how to do it better. His seven cookbooks are definitely evidence of that. After graduating from Stanford University, he taught English in California and then Indonesia. It was in Asia that he developed a full-blown obsession with outdoor cooking that put smoke in his veins and led him to chef school. By the way, I'm reading this from his book that you all should buy if you don't have it already, you should buy it right after this interview. So I'm just telling you that, all right? <laughs> okay. All right. He graduated from the Culinary Institute of America with high honors and launched a food career that's included multiple New York Times bestselling cookbooks and a James Beard Award nomination. This book is a culmination of 20 years as Weber's master griller and teacher. It is... An honor for baseball and barbecue to welcome Jamie Provience to our show. Welcome, Jamie. <laughs> well, thank you, guys. It's a real pleasure to be with you, talking about two of my favorite things. One of them I know a lot about, the other one not so much. Depends <laughs> <laughs> which. <laughs> uh, can I, can I ask off the questioning? Because I, I'm kind of the novice of the, of the two of us. My first question, I, I guess, would... How did you get interested in barbecue? And I know you probably get asked that all the time. But for, for me and our listeners, how, how did you get started with, with barbecuing? Well, I think the starting point was probably in Indonesia, of all places. Uh, back in the late 80s, I was a school teacher in Jakarta, an international school. And in that part 
my life. Uh, I was lucky because I had a cook uh, making meals for my roommate and me, and she wanted to learn how to speak English, so the, the two of us kind of traded. I taught English, and she taught cooking uh, and grilling specifically. So that was really the, the launching pad. Um, and then I went to cooking school and got involved with Weber, and it just sort of began to build momentum. But um, that was the spark, as it were. So, Jamie, the book is called Weber's Ultimate Grilling, a step-by-step guide to barbecue genius. And when I, when I spoke to you originally, I said it was, I, I love the book, and it could be a book that a beginner can use or somebody more advanced. Uh, I, I'm going to start with just things that I thought were great about it. Like, you have something in here called the four T's. And I thought that was great because it, it, it addressed, so, we get so many questions and, and these things are all addressed. So tell us about the four T's. The four T's are my quick checklist for what to pay attention to. And that can be for beginners or intermediates or even advanced people. Uh, I know that all of us are subject to getting a little distracted when we're out there grilling. Mm. You know, particularly if it's a party and cocktails are flowing and people are playing games and getting into political debates and that sort of thing, uh, occasionally the grilling just kind of gets improvised, you know, where you just wing it, you put mm-hmm. stuff over the fire and hope everything works out all right. And so the four keys are my reminder of like, okay, these four things are your pathway to grilling success. So the first T is temperature. Just having the grill set up for the right temperature. It's not always supposed to be high. Uh, Sometimes it's supposed to be quite low um, and everything in between. The second T is timing. You know, minutes make a difference whether you're doing hamburgers or chicken breasts or even something like a pork shoulder. You gotta know when to turn it and when to get it off. The third T uh, is techniques. And that's actually the focus of this book, all the various techniques that you can use for particular items on the grill. And the fourth T is tools. So just having the right tool for the job certainly helps your your chances of success. So I figure if you can cover all those four, if you're aware of what they should be or whatever happens to be in front of you, you can filter out the distractions and put some great food on the plate. You know, you, you made a great point, which I always bring up, um, sometimes with my wife. So, you know, people will just assume that you could just take a piece of meat, sometimes directly from the freezer, even, you know, and just, oh, okay, this is what we're going to have for dinner. And, and, and bar- for some reason, grilling, you know, barbecue is different with smoking and stuff, and we'll just we'll call it grilling, you know, uh, whether it's over a charcoal flame or gas. There's more involved with that. You can't, it, it, you know, unless you're just making hamburgers or something, there's time involved. But for some reason, everybody thinks, oh, it's a barbecue. You could just throw the meat on. So that would, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I see that. I hear that all the time. Um, and I kind of know where it's coming from. I think people think of, of grilling and barbecue as something really casual. You know, something you can do at the park, no big deal. Just get the grill hot and let it go and throw whatever you want on there. Um, but if you're really interested in something that is juicy, delicious, you know, cooked to the doneness that you really prefer, then the temperature 
really matters. I mean, just take the difference between, let's say, a steak and a chicken breast. You know, <laughs> a chicken breast you need to cook all the way through. Um, a steak you just want to char on the outside and then leave to some degree of doneness. Hopefully there's a little bit of red meat left in the middle. So the steak calls for a very high heat in order to char it on the outside before you overcook it on the inside. A chicken breast should be done over a much more moderate heat so that you can cook it all the way to the, through the center without burning the outside. Now, that's just one example of where temperature really matters. And then when you get into barbecue, you know, the slow smoke food, right. then it really matters. I mean, you, there's no way you can screw up a slab of ribs faster than trying to cook it over a high temperature, particularly with direct heat. Yeah, and some people you mentioned, like... I'll t say indirect heat, and I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And it's such a, yeah. you know, I mean, they, they, and they think indirect. What, what do you mean? And, you know, well, thanks for mentioning that because uh, I, I use it so often now, and I just sometimes assume that everyone is familiar with it. But I remember there was a time when I just thought of, of grilling as, as being entirely about direct heat, which just means that the fire is directly below the food. Right, that's right. the vision that we have when we think of uh, basic grilling technique. But there's this whole other universe of grilling that opens up a lot of possibilities and actually creates much better food, uh, which involves indirect heat, where the heat is off to the side. That's all it means. And it could be off to one side, and the food is on the other, or there could be two beds of coals on opposite sides of the grill, or two burners lit on opposite sides of the grill, and then the food is cooked in the middle. That is indirect heat, and it is, it's more like roasting. So grilling the over direct heat is a little bit like broiling, where you're just sort of blasting the food um, directly, and then indirect heat is more like roasting, where you're gently cooking it, the heat is circulating around, and um, each have their place. And some recipes actually call for both, where you start something over direct and finish it over indirect or vice versa. So just knowing those two options is a really big step toward being a better griller or barbecuer. So, so Jamie, getting into the book uh, Ultimate Grilling, which I thought was uh, fantastic, uh, because, like I said, Len is the more experienced griller of, of the two of us, and I like all the illustrations step-by-step. Step. You have a grill science section, which is very interesting. And some of the and you have Q and A's, which I uh, I really felt was very helpful, especially when I'm trying to chick, uh, cook chicken breasts. I never heard the term uh, butterfly the chicken the chicken. Uh, I guess because uh, the, the ends are different shape. Could you explain a little bit about that? Sure. I think you're referring to the spatchcocking, or are you still talking about the chicken breasts? The chicken breasts. Okay. Because you can butterfly the whole chicken as well, and that's a funny British term called spatchcocking. But for the chicken breast by itself, and we're talking boneless breasts here, it's actually a weird piece of meat to cook, or it's a challenging piece, because it's very lean, so it tends to dry out quickly, and the shape is uneven. It's much easier to cook an even piece of food. Um, you can cook it evenly. Uh, with a chicken breast, you're very likely to dry out that thin section on one end, and then the other section might not be fully cooked. So, um, there's one technique that I use, which may sound surprising to some people, which is actually to cut slashes in the raw chicken breast. People think, oh, don't do that, you know, you're going to dry it out, all the meat, 
you should be said not a balloon, a water balloon, you know, where you just poke it and things come pouring out. Uh, the, the moisture is in there um, in little tiny pockets. And if you cut these slashes to effectively thin out that one thicker end, um, what happens is the heat is able to penetrate a little bit faster, which is a good thing. Because the faster the chicken breast cooks, the juicier it's going to be in the end. Assuming, of course, you don't burn it first. <laughs> so, so that's what I'm getting at with that uh, that slashing or, or butterflying technique that I think you're mentioning. The other good thing is that those slashes open up room for the marinade. So there's a green chili salsa with you know herbs and oil and garlic and that sort of thing that gets into those crevices and just makes the chicken taste better you know all the way to the center. Right, Jamie, you you just mentioned a, a recipe. So all of how do you come up with? I, I'm all right. Comes the weekend, time to grill, and I always go to the same standbys. That's what I love about cookbooks because it forces me. I if I look at the cookbook, it forces me to pick something different. But how do you come up with all these recipes? Are these all your recipes? They are. Um, I mean, I do get help. I have a bunch of testers, and they give me some ideas. Um, I, I don't know where I came up with all these recipes. I mean, this is just one book. I've actually written seventeen books. Wow. Um, and I think I okay. counted. Love the all the pictures in the book, right? And I like the not just it's, it's not just meat. You have dessert, right? You have vegetables. Uh, I even think you have fruit in there, right? Right. I I'm all about expanding people's repertoire, you know, and getting them to enjoy the grill in in new ways. Um, and not just meat. I mean, I'm, personally, I'm eating a lot more plants these days. Uh, almost everything gets better on the grill. And uh, particularly with those newish recipes, it's really helpful to see the photography. So for people who are just listening to this, each recipe comes with almost a film strip. There are six, eight, ten, sometimes you know, 12 or more photographs that take you through every step of the way, from what you do on the cutting board to setting up the grill to when to, when to turn it, you know, even how to carve it. So... It, it, I think it builds a lot of confidence. You know, you, just, you can see, oh, wow, that doesn't look so hard. I can do that. Um, even though it may sound elaborate, like for desserts, okay, I'm going to do a summer 
very crostata. You think, forget it. You know, I'm, I don't know how to bake. I can't even make brownies. I'm not going to do that. Well, you know, you go to the store, you get some pie dough, and you fill it with uh, summer berries, and you put it on a pizza stone in the middle of the grill, and you got a crostata. So that's the point of the book, is getting people sort of over those perceived obstacles and, um, and letting them enjoy some stuff that they haven't tried before. Are you the type of, of cook, griller in this case, or cook, who looks and sees what ingredients you have on hand and then comes up with something to make? This is when you're just cooking for yourself. Or do you think of the recipe first and then go get the stuff to uh, go with the recipe? You know, it works a couple of different ways. It's not always the same. Um, Usually, actually, the first thing that comes to mind is who am I, who am I cooking for? You know, is it, is it my family? Is it a special occasion for one member of the family? Um, you know, is it a, a special guest, an old friend coming into town? So if they have something that they like, then that sort of determines what I'm going to cook. But more often than not, I do just go to the market and I peruse the aisles, um, mostly the produce aisle and the meat aisle and the seafood, and I just sort of see what looks good to me. Um, that's the starting point. I'm a big fan of farmer's market. That's often a starting point. Um, and then occasionally I'll just be out at a restaurant and I'll try something. You know, I'll have a great, I don't know, let's say asparagus soup with creme fraiche and toasted almonds or, and I'll think wow that, I really like those flavors together what if I were to just like grill the, the asparagus not puree it into a soup but serve that with toasted almonds and maybe some sort of a a, uh, a rich maybe not creme fraiche but maybe some other kind of uh, creamy topping so that's that's another way that these things kind of evolve for me I would imagine there's a lot of pressure you know, even even for someone who... Okay, so we have this podcast, Baseball and Barbecue. And now everybody thinks, oh, you, you, you must be a grilling expert. And anytime I grill anything, it has to... I, I have that pressure of, oh, it's got to be good. Uh, if I burn it or, or do anything wrong, it's like, how could he do that? As, as a chef, you, <laughs> you can never have a bad meal or it's... Jamie Proviance gave me bad food? What's that about? <laughs> right? I mean, that's pressure. Uh, I hear you. I, I think I used to feel that pressure a lot more, but I've been doing this for 20 years or now, 20 years or so, and um, it just is what it is. You know, I feel pretty confident with my skills. Uh, I don't shoot for the moon when I'm trying to, when I'm grilling for, for friends and, and, you know, neighbors who are coming over. Um, I just, hey, tonight we're having hamburgers, you know. Tonight we're doing shrimp that are just simply brushed with a little tarragon and mustard glaze, and, and that's it. And I'm, I've sort of grown confident in that. But um, I know you guys, I think you guys dabble a little bit in the competition world of barbecue. And... Um, I've often thought about getting into that, and that's one place where I sometimes stop myself because I think, all right, this is a no-win situation. You know, mm -hmm. if I win, they'll say, well, of course. I mean, he does this professionally. We'd expect him to win. Right. And then if I lose, they say, what a loser. I 
mean, this guy is supposed to be really good, and he can't even compete with, you know, the people who do it occasionally. So I don't come out great on either end. (laughs) 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 So I haven't gotten into the barbecue competition, but we'll see. Even that, I I might get over all that and just do it. So, uh, uh, Jamie, I'm I'm looking through the book. And I see a lot of delicious recipes I want to try. But I'm going to, I'm looking at dry brine turkey breast with to- topical salsa. And that looks absolutely delicious. I really need to try turkey breast on the grill. But as a novice, my, my question is, I, I don't want to sound silly, but what does brine mean? I, 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 that oh. was, you know, so uh, if, if you can explain to the, uh, you know, oh. the, the, the amateurs of the world, that would be appreciated. Yeah, no, I'm glad you asked. So a brine typically is just a salt water solution. It's actually just salt and water. Um, Often there's a little bit of sugar added and some spices. And the reason that people brine food is to make it juicier. Um, it, It allows a little bit of the moisture to get inside. And then more importantly, it changes the way that the moisture leaves the meat as it's cooking. It, it basically holds on to more of the moisture. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, so um, you typically do it with things where you don't have, you can't afford to lose a lot of moisture, like turkey. There's just not much in there to begin with. Right. So brining it helps you capture as much of it as possible. So that's what you, I guess, would call wet brining. Dry brining is just doing the same thing, but without water. So in that turkey breast recipe, you can see in the pictures that I'm coating the surface of the turkey breast with salt and sugar, and in this case, a little bit of chipotle and cumin powder. Mm -hmm. And um, you get the same effect, actually, uh, which is why I kind of lean toward it. Uh, The wet brine is a little bit more involved. You've got to usually dissolve the salt and the sugar, and then if it's a big old turkey, it's got to sit in this giant tub in your refrigerator overnight, which takes up a lot of space. Um, So I'm a big believer in the dry brine method. Um, It really does help to retain moisture in uh, in a turkey breast or anything like that. Pork loin, even a chicken, uh, those lean meats do really well. And if you've got some spices in that that dry brine, those penetrate under the surface. They, they get deeper than just on the skin. I love in the book the flavor bomb sections, too. Ah, yes, that's yeah. great. That, that, for anybody um, not familiar yet with the book, it, it, Jamie will take things like, uh, for instance, burgers, and he will just tell you how to flavor bomb, do just a little thing to a burger and make it different. Uh, here, there's something flavor bomb your pork chop, and it he'll do mushroom stroganoff. I mean, Asian style slaw, tomatillo salsa, uh, sweet and sour pineapple. To, so just taking a pork chop, and and you're basically making it a different a different dish. Yeah, because you don't want to eat the same pork chop every right. week. Right. Like I don't. Um, so the flavor bomb is all about variations.
with the Q&A about, you know, everything you want to know about how to grill, let's say, ribeyes. There's some grill science there to explain what's happening to the proteins, you know, as they cook and what the salt's doing, if you want to get into all that jazz. Mm -hmm. Then there's kind of a master recipe, step by step. You follow along, you get a great ribeye. And then there come the flavor bombs. And that's like, okay, if you've now mastered the recipe, what if you want to top it with something different? So instead of the traditional, or I should say the master recipe, which has mushrooms and pancetta, which are great, you could go with just a little bit of blue cheese and tarragon with a little lemon zest. These are very simple variations. It's like assemble a few ingredients in a bowl and then just literally bomb them, you know, drop them onto the steak in this case. Could be a corn and black bean salsa. Could be a hoisin ginger steak sauce that you simmer for about five minutes. Or it could be just some fried shallots on top of a nice ribeye. So it's all about variations done easily. Jamie, as much as uh, there are all these different recipes, we all know that people, burgers are one of the most popular things for people to grill. And actually, you had right? a, a blog on, what, 50 billion? With a billion? With a B? Burgers? <laughs> or what? Something like that, yeah. There, there, there are more burgers eaten than any piece of meat, wow. I think, in the entire world. Um, and I've written a whole book on burgers uh, called Weber's Big Book of Burgers. But of course, we had to include them in this book. And they get that master class treatment. So what's the what's the number one mistake that people make with burgers? Is it well, I think that's tough. Um, I'm just trying to. I guess the most common mistake is just pressing the burger oh, yes. on the grill with a spatula. Right to get that they want that they get that sizzle when they press it down, but it all oh, all the juice comes out of it. Oh. Yes. Yeah, it's a crime. You just lose all the fat and the juice and the flavor. You dry that thing out in a second. Um, mm -hmm. So that's really that's really common. The other one I think is just fiddling with the burgers too much, moving them around um, every I don't know thirty seconds or so because um, I don't know why they do it. Well, I don't, it's <laughs> I have theories there. But anyway, um, the reason you shouldn't do it is. Should have a crust. It should have flavorful, crusty bits on the outside that are kind of juxtaposed with that juicy, you know, soft meat inside. Mm -hmm. And if you are constantly picking up the burger and moving it, you're not giving it a chance to develop a proper crust. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a really maybe not common, but it's a, it's a just an unfortunate mistake that people make. Um, <clears throat> They end up, also they end up pairing the burger a lot when they do that because it always sticks, right? As soon as you put it on the grill, yeah. it sticks. And if you try to turn it within a few seconds or even a minute, you're going to leave some of that burger behind, um, yeah. and that's that's too bad. Um, so don't fiddle with it too much. You should really only have to turn it once. Cheese or no cheese? <laughs> I love cheese personally. Um, but I believe everyone should have the burger that they want. So, um, you know, I graduated from the basic American cheese. My son still requests that, but I like a nice, sturdy, you know, artisanal cheddar cheese if mm. I can get it, or maybe some fontina or shredded cheese. I don't. Know, some people, people don't do that enough. I don't think is, is use some of those gorgeous shredded cheeses now in 
just let those melt down. I, I think it's fantastic. So, a uh, toasted roll or not toasted? Uh, yeah, I opt for toasted. Um, I think the flavor's a little better. I appreciate the warmth, um, and I think they're a little less likely to get soggy. You know, particularly mm-hmm. if they're just a basic supermarket bun. If you've got a, a, a moist burger, which you should, and then a lot of wet toppings, you know, maybe there's the ketchup down there and the mustard, the mayonnaise, whatever it happened to put on it, that bun could just turn into like a wet paper towel in a matter of seconds. So yes. I just think toasting it delays that or, you know, makes it less likely. And one other Egg or, or no egg? Because I saw I saw it in the book. <laughs> yeah, there's a breakfast burger with with bacon and egg, which is really good. Um, particularly if you leave the egg yolk just a little bit undercooked, and as soon as you bite into it, it just sort of spills out over the meat, and you've got this kind of instant egg sauce on your burger. I think it's fantastic, but. I'm all about variety, right? Like, so I'll have that one week, and then I, I can take a break for a month or so. I don't need another egg on my burger. I'll move on to something else. Jamie, I want you to come to my restaurant. I don't have a restaurant, but I'm saying you come in as a chef, and I say, Jamie, blow me away. What's the one, what's the thing that you would cook that just, if you had to impress, I don't know, the you know royalty or something... What are you cooking? Well, I would probably start thinking barbecue, like the most smoked meats, because as I'm sure you know, that's not easy to do at a really high level. And, you know, I admit it, I struggled for years and years to get it right. I ruined a lot of briskets, um, and, you know, I'd spend... 10, 12, 15 hours cooking these things, lots of money, and they come out dry and crumbly and just sad. But I have learned through the years how to nail it. And man, I don't think there's anything much more gratifying than some beautiful slices of brisket or maybe even burnt ends. That's that's part of the pinnacle. I would, if somebody, yeah, if I was trying to impress somebody, I would serve them my burnt ends. Um, Right. The, you know, the thing about the cookbook, and it's, again, Weber's Ultimate Grilling, a step-by-step guide to barbecue genius. Some people now, you know, they say, oh, well, I go on the internet for recipes. What, what you did with this book, there, you can't find these things on the internet. You have little tidbits. I, I, I tell people I read cookbooks, and, and they're like, what do you mean you read cookbooks? But your book... You, you actually, the things in here, you're not going to find on the internet. You have all these tips and... and, and, and the science. The science and the history and stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, is, is that, are those things that you have to put in now because, of, because people are not, you know, uh, going to cookbooks? Or is that just something you enjoy writing about? I, I mean, what is... Because I love it, so I just want to, you know, what's your what's your thinking when you're putting this book together? Well, yeah, I mean, it was very intentional. Uh, I'm certainly aware that you can go on the internet and get some recipes. Some of them quite good, some of them not so good, some of them horrible. Yes. Uh, that's always the thing, you never really quite know. Right. Um, or usually 
don't know. So when I'm making a cookbook, I'm not just making recipes. I'm making an entire um, course, in a sense, uh, like you would like a cooking class that you would take over over a long period of time, and I'm putting it on the pages of the book. And so these aren't just recipes, standalone recipes. They're, they're sort of interdependent. Uh, and as I said earlier, each recipe here is really focused on a technique. Uh, and the idea is that if you learn the technique on one item, you know, let's say you learn how to cook corn down in the embers, you know, you can apply that technique to other items. You can do it with potatoes or, or even with a steak. And, and the book sort of makes those connections for you and is just sort of an all-inclusive, comprehensive piece of knowledge. Um, and that's very different than, oh, I just need a, you know, a, a recipe for chicken cacciatore right. tonight. Um, that, that serves its purpose, but this is a little bit more, um, I think, instructive and will make you a better cook as opposed to just making one meal okay. Mm -hmm. This is actually, this is designed to give you confidence, to spread your wings a little bit so that you're trying some new stuff and, um, and just to make you overall a better, more knowledgeable cook. Yeah, this is the this is the whole, you know, if you give a person a fish, they'll eat for one meal. If you teach them to fish, they'll eat for their lifetime. This you're giving tech I mean, not to sound uh, I don't know, corny, but you're giving techniques when you if you learn what is in this book, you're going to be a better griller, uh, smoker, whatever. It it's gonna you're gonna improve greatly. <clears throat> I hope so. I, I, I think so. There's there's a lot of information here. I'm not patting myself on the back. But no, but we'll do it. We're patting you. We'll do it. Who aren't seeing it, you got to realize there are over 750 photographs. Um, so the average cookbook has maybe a tenth of ten times as many photographs, which is just at least ten times as much information, right? Because photography is so instructive. You can see the color of the coals. You can see the the level of browning on the meat. You can see the internal doneness. You can see you know where the thermometer goes in and and how to skewer something properly. And that's all those details really matter. Um, and they can only be shown in photography. Right. Now you mentioned uh, smoking before, and uh, not cigarette smoking, folks. Uh, <laughs> barbecue smoking. And I read something in your pork section where. You put in wood chips, but you mentioned the word soaked. Why would you soak the wood chip instead of just putting the wood chip right, right out of the uh, bag? I soak them so that they don't light on fire and burn out too quickly. Uh, that's something you, you can do. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Um, but I prefer to, to make the chips last a little bit longer and develop more of a sort of a smoldering smoke as opposed to a big poof of flame and, and smoke. I don't do that with the chunks right? Uh, because those tend not to light on fire like the chips. The chips just have so much surface area and they're, sort of, they're so light, they're like paper. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's uh, for me, often very important to soak them first. Unless I just need a boost of flavor. That's what, I mean, I'm sorry, a boost of heat. Sometimes if my fire is dying a little bit and I want to really just brown something up quickly, I'll 
throw some dry trips on there, get a little fire going, and voila. One of the things in the book was this direct coal cooking. You want to, you want to just yeah. that that was fascinating. You're putting the food directly on the coals. You want to just talk about that? Yeah, that's a real show stuff. That's one of the some more extreme recipes, I guess, in the book. But is a lot of fun and really works well. Um, you know, if you're feeling a little daring. <clears throat> so the big thing there is that you want to obviously be using all natural charcoal um, or what we call lump charcoal, which is essentially just wood that has been. Um, burned in a low oxygen environment so there's nothing unhealthy there's nothing you know no chemicals or any additives you're dealing with the other thing is that you know you're you may be wondering well isn't that just going to burn up the steak um yes if you don't create the right bed of charcoal so the tip there and i show it in the photography is sort of how to break the charcoal up into small pieces so that you get a nice flat level surface to put the steaks on because if there's any air between the meat and the charcoal, that's where you're going to get a flame. And once it starts and it lights some of the fat in the steak, you are going to burn up that steak. But if you create a relatively flat bed and you trim the steak really well of its fat, there's no air. And without air, there cannot be fire. So what instead you get is just the heat of the charcoal and the flavor, that natural wood flavor getting into the meat. And it, it tastes really good, and it looks really good. I mean, it, it, it was the steak and, and you, because it's if you want a kind of a show-stopping experience, like, hey, guys, come over here. I'm going to do what's sometimes called steak in the embers or dirty steak or cowboy steak. You know, you don't see that every day. And if you can get it right, you become a bit of a hero in your backyard. So, Jamie, tell us where where can uh, where can everybody buy this book? It is sold everywhere. Books are sold. So, um, go to your independent bookstore. Go online to Amazon or Barnes and Noble. You can get it at Weber.com. You can go to my website, uh, which is jamieproviance.com, and see some sample recipes, and then there are links from there to go to Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and all those other places. So it's not easy to, it's not hard to find, I should say. No, and, and plus... It, oh, I've seen it in different places, absolutely. It, it's around it, here, yep. And it's big enough that you're not missing it. Right. This is a big book. <laughs> yeah, and I should also mention that there are two special editions of the book that have some bonus recipes. One of them is at Target. So if you like Target, go there and get that special edition. It's got 16 extra pages. And also Barnes & Noble has a special uh, edition. You know, I actually was in Target the other day when I, I called Len. I said, hey, hey, Len, this edition has more stuff in it. I know, so I have to go out and I, I, now i got to run to Target and buy a, <laughs> get another book for the extra. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole section on kind of cold weather grilling. So if you're into tailgating or, you know, winter grilling, that sort of thing, check out the Target edition. It's got a lot of new ideas. Nice. Jamie? We can't thank you enough. Um, I hope that when the next book comes out, or if we need some tips, we may just call you. But uh, I hope you'll come back on with us. I hope you enjoyed your time with us, because we certainly enjoyed our time with you. Yeah, you guys are 
Thank you. Thanks for not, you know, exposing my lack of knowledge about baseball. <laughs> I, I am a fan. I'm just nowhere near an expert. Um, let, let me ask you, fa- been... fan of what team? Well, you know, I live in Northern California, so, uh, you know, it's been the Giants for a while, um, particularly several years ago when they were on top. Although also coming from Northern New Jersey, um, and my parents from Philadelphia, I have a soft spot for the Phillies as well. Well, you know what? We'll like you anyway. We're Met fans, but we'll like you anyway. <laughs> yeah. See, that's why I didn't want to get into the baseball talk. It, it never, you know, right. you can never root for just the right team. Everyone's got an opinion. Did you ever, do you, um, you uh, Philly fan, do you remember Greg Luzinski? Player sure, for the Phillies. I know that name, yeah. Okay. Greg Luzinski, um, his nickname is The Bull, and he is very much into barbecue. He actually has, um, at the ballpark now, at Citizens Bank Park, he has his own... Um, Concession. It's, right. called, it's called Bull's Barbecue. And it's quite good. Right. It, it really is. We, we, uh, had, we had the opportunity to interview him and the chefs there, and he knows his barbecue. He re- he makes his own sauce. I mean, he's uh, you know he's not just there for name only. He right. really he's involved in it. So you you never know who's going to be a lover of barbecue, you know, in baseball, and it's just amazing. Well, that's great. Thanks for mentioning another good reason to get back to Philadelphia. Oh yeah, try some of his barbecue and, and watch the Phillies. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's it's quite good. And he sits there and he uh, he talks to people. He signs autographs and uh, um, he loves talking about barbecue. Yes, so. he does. Yeah, but Jamie, thanks again. We we greatly appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Have a great summer. Thank you. You too. Bye. And we'll be back right after this. I'm Ed Randall, and you're listening to Baseball and Barbecue. So, Len, a couple weeks ago we lost a great baseball player, Bill Buckner, to uh, dementia. Way too young. He was 69. Yes, he was 69 years old. And Bill Buckner was known for, look, he was a great player, but his, his, unfairly he was known for one play, which is, is really unfortunate. Uh, he really was a great baseball player. And we were thinking of a, a, a good way to pay tribute to Bill Buckner. So I found this article, which we're going to read. It's from Weld's Brighamian Newspapers, and an article written by Alan Barra. So we're going to read this to you. It's not that long, but it really does say so much about Bill Buckner. Yeah, it's really well written. Very good. Bill Buckner's error in the 1986 World Series, October 25th, 1986, a day of infamy for Red Sox fans, is one of the two most famous plays in series history. Willie Mays' catch in the 1954 classic is the other. Like Mays' catch, Buckner's boo-boo is entrenched in American folklore. Jimmy Fallon's Red Sox fanatic in fever pitch, distraught over breaking up with his girlfriend, watches Buckner's play over and over on his VCR. During congressional hearings in 2008, Rep. John Yarmuth called former Treasury Secretary John Snow, then SEC Chief Christopher Cox, and former Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan, three Bill Buckners. On the TV series Curb Your Enthusiasm, Larry David loses a softball game when a ball rolls between his legs. His coach screams, You Bucknered me! The blunder is even in a video game. 
Everyone knows that Buckner lost the nineteen eighty six World Series for the Red Sox. But what everybody know what everyone knows is wrong. At the time, the Red Sox were burdened with sixty eight years of frustration, their last championship in nineteen eighteen, leading three games to two against the New York Mets. Boston was ahead by a score of five to three in the bottom of the tenth inning. Red Sox pitcher Calvin Chiraldi got two quick outs. In the Red Sox locker room, champagne was iced, and a scoreboard flashed. Congratulations, Red Sox. Then the Mets got three consecutive singles. Score, 5-4. Red Sox reliever Bob Stanley Wild pitched the tying run home. But it's the next play that still has Red Sox fans screaming in the middle of the night. Stanley pitched a sinker ball designed to produce ground balls to infielders. What was supposed to happen did happen. Mookie Wilson tapped a slow grounder at Buckner at first base, but the ball rolled between Buckner's legs, and the Mets won in their most incredible finish to a World Series game ever. Up to that moment, Buckner hit better than 307 times in his career, winning the 1980 American League batting title. He led the league four times in assists. During that crucial September 1986 stretch, he carried the team, hitting 340 with eight home runs, but all that was soon to be forgotten. Stephen J. Gould in National History Magazine called him a gallant first baseman and a veteran with a long and distinguished career. For weeks, wrote Gould, manager John McNamara had been benching Buckner for defensive purposes during the last few innings of games with substantial Red Sox leads. But after a long, hard season, Buckner's legs were shot. He hardly, he could hardly bend down. But Buckner's error did not lose the championship for the Red Sox. It didn't even lose Game 6 for them, as the Red Sox had already blown their two-run lead. Two nights later, with another chance at the ring, Boston lost 8-5. to Buckner, incidentally, had two hits in four at-bats and scored a run in Game 7. Red Sox fans cried curse of the Bambino. The punishment Boston supposedly merited for selling Babe Ruth to the Yankees in 1919. But the focus of the curse that season was Buckner. Yet Buckner did not put the tying runs on base. He didn't throw a wild pitch that made it 5-5. He did not make the decision to keep his defensive replacement on the bench. He He had made the play. The Red Sox could have lost the game anyway. With so many others who contributed as much or more to the Red Sox defeat... Why has history made Buckner the GOAT? Perhaps Gould said it best when he suggested that in the collective minds of Red Sox fans, if Buckner fields the ball properly, the Sox win their first World Series since 1918 and eradicate the curse of the Bambino. In this scenario, Buckner's miscue marks the unkindest bounce of all, the most improbable, trivial little error Sustained by a good and admired man. What hath God wrought? What God wrought, perhaps, was a curse on both teams. The New York Mets have not won another World Series since. Their greatest stars on that 1986 team, pitcher Dwight Gooden and slugging outfielder Dal Strawberry, saw their careers cut short by drug abuse. In 2007 and 2008, the team crumbled down the stretch and missed the playoffs. And this year, the Red Sox, who seemingly broke the curse by winning the World Series in 2004 and 2007, suffered the all-time worst 
collapse in baseball history, losing 20 of the last 27 games. Meanwhile, the infamous Buckner Ball, once owned by Charlie Sheen, is up for auction on eBay. Asking price, $1 million. The bid will close at the exact minute of the 25th anniversary of the play. Now a successful businessman, Buckner had lived down the era by turning the joke on himself. On Curb Your Enthusiasm, he won the cheers of New York crowd by catching a baby dropped from a burning building. In 2008, he threw out the first pitch of the Red Sox home opener and got a standing ovation from a sellout crowd. Somewhere, one has to feel the Bambino himself was applauding. So for anyone that's, that was thinking that this was written after Bill Buckner's passing, it wasn't. It was actually written October 27, 2011. So this is something that uh, Alan Barra was thinking about and was wrote about the fact that Buckner was not what cost them the game and what cost them the series. Now, of course, after his passing, you hear from everyone else that uh, he was a great player and it wasn't his fault. But even back then, people were writing about it. You know, people called Bill Buckner a gamer. And what's a gamer? A player who approaches the game with tenacious, spirit attack, and continues to play even when hurt. A competitor. A player who doesn't make excuses. The term is a compliment, most especially when it comes from another player. And that is really the impidity of Bill Buckner. You know, I have to admit, uh, as a Met fan, uh, we both are Met fans, and of course, that play is very special to us, right? It gave it us... Was, it was a thrill. Yeah, it was a thrill. Uh, without that play, we never win that World Series. So, it it's very exciting, but... When you look at what he went through, um, the the years of abuse that he took, um, how it must have so been so unfair, to, yeah, so unfair, extremely unfair, extremely unfair. And and, uh, and so, Bill Buckner, we salute you and rest in peace. Rest in peace. Now you have a rant, don't you? I do have a rant. Why don't we take a break and we'll come back and we'll do our rants? Okay. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Alright, so this is, this is what I'm going to rant about. I live on the East Coast, we live on the East Coast, and charcoal, charcoal, Something as simple as charcoal. All I see in the stores is Kingsford. What happened to all the charcoal? There used to be stubs. Weber had their brand of charcoal. Now all I see is Kingsford. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Kingsford. But why? Why do I only see Kingsford? That's an issue. I think there's a conspiracy going on. I think... Kingsford got a hold of all these companies. It's like the farmers. You know how they get paid not to grow not to grow things, right? Yeah. Okay. I think someone's paying these companies not to make charcoal. I'm not saying that Kingsford's not good charcoal, but I want a choice. Why do I have to only get one brand? What happened to my Stubbs charcoal? What happened to my Weber charcoal? Hello, Weber. Can you please tell me 
where your charcoal is. You know what? I can get my I can get Weber charcoal. I have to go on today. I went on uh, Walmart. Walmart has Weber charcoal. You have to order it. They deliver it to the store. Today is what the 9th of June. They said that they can have it delivered in the store by for me to pick up on the 17th. Wow. Eight days. I have to wait for a bag of charcoal. That's not right. I'm sorry, but it's not good. That's that's. I, I know this may sound silly, but I have certain brands of charcoal I like to use. Now, there's charcoal briquettes, and there's also your lump, your your hardwood, your lump charcoal. Okay, that I can get, but I want my charcoal briquettes. And the other thing is, I do not want Kingsford match light ready. The one that has lighter fluid on it. I don't want that. I want plain, natural charcoal with no additives, no fillers, no chemicals. That's why I loved Stubbs. Now Stubbs is discontinued. You go on to the, they sold it at Lowe's. You go on their site. You can't buy it. It, it has a picture and then it says not available in store, not available. It's been discontinued. And like I said, Weber makes very good charcoal. The Kingsford charcoal is fine. That's that's not the point. But I want a choice. I don't want to only. But when I go, when I went to the store today, right? There were hot dogs. I could have gotten Ballpark Franks. I could have gotten Hebrew National. I could have gotten um, there, I, Oscar Mayer. The Brett. The Brett. Right. Okay. Right. Now, Hebrew National. Good hot dogs. Right. Okay, so Brett, good hot dogs. But the point is, I want a choice, right? And and something's going on. I want to know if you guys have access to these other charcoals. Let us know because there's there's something going on with charcoal, and I want to be able to get my brands. Okay, that's my rant. How do you really feel, Len? <laughs> I have a rant. Uh, Wait a minute. Because when you have a rant, I want to introduce it. So here it is. Baseball rant. My rant has to do with pitching. I mean, I am getting sick and tired of seeing four, five, six pitchers per team per game. It is absolutely ridiculous. You know what? When a guy pitches, when a starter goes six innings, then they bring in the seventh inning guy. Seventh inning guy pitches what? He can pitch eight pitches, nine pitches, and it, and the innings over. He comes out and he pitches well. Why don't can't why can't he send up for the next inning? I don't get that. Why do they have to take him out? Because we have to have the eighth inning guy. The eighth inning guy pitches well. Why do they have to take him out to pitch ninth inning? You know they're not trying to wait to the pitcher to blow it. Trying to find that pitcher who doesn't pitch well. But that's the way baseball is played today, and I am really, really sick of it. And, uh, you know, I'm mad as hell. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> and unfortunately, we're running out of time. So that's going to be the extent of my rant. That's it? That's it for now. All right. So then we do have time for my uh, product placement. We have one minute, sir. All right. I'm going to tell you guys quickly. Uh, I used a product tonight uh, for the first time. I've had it for a while, but I haven't gotten to it. My wife had bought it for me. And they are called... Uh, they are cedar wraps. So, for anyone that's ever made like cedar plank salmon, 
you've got like a big plank of wood. These are made from cedar, but these are almost like paper. Um, they have the consistency, they have the, like uh, sandpaper almost. They don't feel like sandpaper, but the thickness of a, of a piece of sandpaper. You basically, you soak them. They come in a package of eight, at least this did. These are cedar grilling wraps, uh, western red. Package of eight. I think she bought these um, last year at Trader Joe's. They come with natural fiber twine. You cut that. Uh, you, you soak the uh, wrap for about five minutes. Is it edible? No, the wrap. Well, you don't eat the wrap, and it's supposed to impart flavor. I, it did not impart flavor, but what it did was it kept the fish moist. Wrapped it around a piece of salmon, wrapped the, the twine around it, put it over a very low heat. Um, although on the package it does say to put it o- over no heat, but I put it over a low heat because I thought it would um, maybe it would infuse some smoke and some cedar if it was cooking into it. Anyway, great product. Hopefully... Uh, we talk about some other new products at some time, but I thought you guys might like to look for that. They are cedar grilling wraps. Thanks, Len. I think I'll try it. You should. And with that, this is Jeff and Len signing off. Won't you please welcome him back to Boston and let him know that he is welcome always. Number six, Bill. <laughs> <laughs>